every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. I talk to the tree. Stop and hear what I say. Come on around back, Arizona. Saturday morning, 8 o'clock. Your outdoor living hour here at Rosie on the house. And if you're a regular listener to the program and you're looking at your home maintenance calendar that we publish every year and you're kind of a little confused, you're expecting to learn about roses today. We've had a little bit of a shuffle. Talking Trees is generally the second Saturday of the month, but, uh, you know, the, we, we kind of had a little miscue at the end of last year, not realizing that Christmas was on a Saturday when we planned it all, and we're kind of reshuffling from that. So the January is a little out of order, but still great program planned for today. We're talking the benefits of tree, and uh, John Eisenhower, ISA Certified Arborist, is joining us, and you've got the tree of the month as well. But before we get there, you've got uh, quite an army with you this morning. Yeah, brought the crew today. Yeah, no, I've, I'm happy to have Gary Peterson, the branch manager with, at Save a Tree, uh, with us again today. And uh, he'll be sharing the mic going forward in the next few months. But I'll have a wonderful guest and friend, Janet Weibel, a, a landscape architect who's been on our show before. And I just love the, the, the perspective she has with regard to planting and, and maintaining trees in the landscape. She's the one who marries the gray concrete and the infrastructure items with the green stuff, the plants and trees that, that make our, our landscapes beautiful. And so I'm happy to have her today. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. Good morning. Let's kick off with our tree of the month. What, which, what, what branch did you bring in this morning? Well, the tree of the month is actually my favorite tree. Now you wonder, this got to be a desert tree because I'm from Arizona. But it's actually the Chinese elm, and I love this tree. I, I, by the way, I, I have several favorite desert trees, uh, especially the, the velvet mesquite trees, really my favorite desert-adapted tree and, and native tree to Arizona. But I love the Chinese elm for various reasons. It is the most adaptable shade tree you're going to find around. It's also deciduous, so you get a little bit of fall color. It's got an amazing large 30- to 40-foot umbrella canopy at maturity um, and it's uh, got that uh, very uh, uh, well-known jigsaw puzzle bark which is really popular and attractive from a landscape uh, architectural standpoint they are very, you know quite a an attractive elegant tree and I just like them because they're bulletproof too they're so adaptable to Arizona heat and you wonder um, there's a lot of our Midwestern uh, listeners and those from the East who probably are thinking, elm tree? Those trash trees? Uh, elms in, in other parts of the, of the country, uh, this should not, is not to be um, confused with the Siberian elm and others, which have brittle wood, weak branch attachments. They're breaking branches all the time in ice storms. And in the East, when you talk about elm tree, people think, ah, oh, that's a crappy tree. And they generally are. But this Chinese elm is really durable, really strong branch attachments, and they're a pleasure to trim. They're a pleasure to own, no thorns. And as I said, they're nearly bulletproof. They do um, have a, a – they're one of many tree varieties that can give way to, uh, to Texas root rot. Um, 
So they are susceptible tree variety, but that's usually a, a, an issue with overwatering. So that's really not the fault of the tree. If you have good, well-drained soil and you're not watering too often, you shouldn't have a problem with that. But Dr. Chris Martin at ASU did a research project several years ago, about 10 years ago, and he evaluated trees in small planting spaces in parking lots. Those little three and four foot wide little planting strips that you see in the mm -hmm. parking lots with, with trees that and are, they're most of, most of me around town are half dead. The trees have been run into by, you know, they've, <laughs> due to bumper blight, you know, the trees knocking into them and knocking them down, or they've just not survived because it's a, the wrong tree in that small location. Well, he did this extensive study throughout the Phoenix area, and which tree came out on top? The Chinese elm. Hmm. It beat out all the desert trees. So if you're wanting that tree that can handle the full sun, take the blistering sun of, uh, you know, our, our, of our, in our summers and the heat, or if you have even that you know, small planting space in a parking lot, these are, are the trees of choice in my, in my, in my view. The Chinese elm, you can see. That's a... my opinion. I'm sticking to it. No, I, I love this tree. It's, it's, it's a great one. Any thoughts on the Chinese elm from your standpoint, Janet, in terms of your putting trees in? Uh, you know, I know you do a lot of tree selection when you do your landscape projects. What's your, been your experience with Chinese elms? Uh, the elm has been a mainstay of designs in Phoenix for my whole career. And I've agreed, I agree too, it, it does especially well in parking lots. You're always amazed. And it's like, oh my gosh, the elms are doing the best. If they're planted correctly, if the roots aren't root bound, um, they're great for parking lots and, and areas where you need clearance because they have a, what we call a standard trunk. It's a single trunk. And so you're not forced to prune a multi-trunk tree. So if you have a narrow space, a standard trunk tree, an elm, you can raise the canopy high so people can walk under it. Cars can park under it if they get that big. Perfect. It's really a very practical tree for a lot of situations. Yeah, nothing's worse than putting a multi-stemmed tree in a narrow planting application because <sighs> then, uh, then by you know, within four or five years, you've tr trimmed out all the stems except one. You've created a standard tree. <laughs> And that, that happened uh, at a at a really um, at one of our projects, and I was just so disappointed because mm -hmm. they could have just put a standard tree in in the beginning, and had a had a really successful uh, tree in that spot. But yeah, those uh, standard trees are, are beautiful. If you're looking for a, a shade tree that you can eventually walk under, where your lowest permanent branch will be above six feet, mm -hmm. the uh, the ash tree or the elm, or even a uh, a, a a Texas live oak would be good yep. choices. Well, there you go. The Chinese elm, your tree of the month. And uh, not only do you guys bring a tree of the month, but there's always a uh, a main takeaway as well. And you wanted to talk about the benefits of trees. I, I that it's Some some things should be obvious, but there's actually some things on here that uh, aren't so obvious. Well, yeah, there's a lot of um, benefits to trees and, and tying it in with our, our landscape um, architecture approach. Um, they, there's a lot of engineering and, and mechanical values of trees just from the standpoint of bringing a tree in for sound abatement. If you want to have a privacy screen, sometimes you want to block the headlights. We had a customer who had, uh, the, unfortunately, their, their window of their home uh, was right in line with traffic that came up a road toward their house. It was quite a ways away. But interestingly, as the road kind of uh, 
came over a hill, those lights would just come up enough to, so they're getting this, this glint of, of headlights, you know, 100 yards away. But it was enough of a, of a distraction. So we started, you know, uh, uh, wor- working with a couple of trees down at their, their, near their fence line out across their yard, about halfway to where those, those vehicles were. And we allowed those to grow up. And in time, we had a nice uh, screening of those lights so they didn't have that light coming through their window. But yeah, trees have a have a lot of benefits with regard to you know architectural um, value. They're they're bringing some, um, as I said, those that sound abatement as well is pretty critical. Or privacy. Sometimes we'll even trim trees uh, lower, and uh, so that you you have a little privacy from your neighbor instead of having that tree that you can walk underneath. You know, you want to leave the lower branches on some of those smaller trees so they can provide a nice little privacy screen bef- between your neighbors. Citrus are used widely for that all over town, and you'll see a lot of uh, um, ficus trees used that way. And, of course, oleanders, which are are uh, having some struggles these these days. So you would call it oleander a tree, not a bush? Shrug. Well, it, yeah, it can be trained to be a tree, but it's it's multi-stemmed and it's yeah usually referred to as a large shrub. But the oleanders in in Phoenix and throughout the Southwest are are struggling with a bacterial um, leaf scorch. It's a, a, a bacterial necrosis is ca- causing a lot of of death of our of our oleanders, and then people are replacing them with either ficus or sour orange trees or or a common replacement tree. I just noticed that the Mountain Shadows Resort in, in Paradise Valley on 56th Street took out all their oleanders. And there's ficus trees in there now. The entire length of 56th Street between McDonald and Lincoln, which is interesting. I'll have to see how that, that works. They planted them on about two-foot centers, so they're really, really tight to one another. So I probably would have put citrus in, but we'll see. You know, they, they want a little taller tree, so the ficus are going to probably be a faster-growing tree. Uh, tree and maybe achieve that uh, landscape purpose, which was to get height to prevent the golf balls from, you know, <laughs> hooking into the into the street. Uh, so, but we could see the golfers, you know, on the other side of that of that row the other day, and I thought, you know, it's going to be a couple years before uh, the 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 cars are safe from those golf balls. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. If you'd like to talk trees, you can also send a text question to four one one nine two three. And we've got Bill who wants help choosing a tree. Well, we've got a panel of experts here for you, Bill. Tell us about your. Uh... I feel so lucky. <laughs> I. Uh, it's just a perfect uh, uh, segue in because I uh, I have a south facing yard. I got the house a couple of years ago and it had this ugly ugly fir bush i call it out in the front that it looks like they're everywhere in tucson and um it was growing under the um it was huge it was overhanging the my uh, cool coat and roof that was just black up there under the cool coat uh, under the tree and so i took that i took two of them out they're actually growing under the foundation so i took them out I had a huge, ugly palm tree in the front. I just took that out, too. The reason I was doing all this because uh, they had this, like, one-inch um, one inch landscape rock in the front that I <laughs> you can never clean out, so I'm taking all that out, and I have, I'm putting a, a clean-out in the sewer that goes in the front yard out to the, out to the city sewer. Um, 
So what I want to do, it's a south-facing um, yard, so I was looking for um, a good, clean tree that uh, can grow quick. And I'm trying to describe my perfect tree that with shade and it's not too messy and it won't get into my my sewer. I'm putting a clean out in the sewer. I'm putting that in. So um, for this Chinese elm, I, I'm at the computer while you're talking, looking at it, and it looks like a perfect tree for this uh, type of situation. Well, we'll talk about that. We can do a lot here at Rosie on the House, but we can't stop the clock. We'll give our uh, panel guests here a few minutes to talk about it during the break as well. And we'll have a few tree selections for you right after this. What kind of a tree can fit in your hand? A palm tree. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> if you're just joining the broadcast, we're joined on the phone with Bill and Tucson who wants to select uh, wants help selecting the right tree and we've got uh, two experts in from Save a Tree, John Eisenhower and Gary Peterson and then we've got a special guest in, Janet Weibel, a landscape architect and through modern technology, uh, aka Zillow, we looked up your property address during the break, Bill, and we got a good visual street uh, picture of the property, and saw the palm, uh, your ugly palm tree that's no longer there, and uh, they've got a couple suggestions for you. Yeah, we also saw those a uh, couple of looks like arborvita or or junipers that you had taken out, and it, yeah, I can those those are a. a do dump a lot of needles on your roof. I can see why you probably were inclined to take those out. But I think we can help you out. There's a, a lot of great choices of trees. Um, Bill, were you looking to try to have something taller than the house to provide some shade as well as just um, to soften the, the, the front of the home there to shade the actual building itself? Or were you wanting something a little bit taller? No, I actually, I, I really want the shade because it's going to, I mean, that is, uh, it's very stark on front, you know, um, and for now we have just a swamp cooler. I'm, eventually I'm going to get the central air, but the swamp cooler, um, it would really help to have some shade up front. So one really quick uh, um, update on the front yard too. I'm putting in a, a drive to the left of the house, even with the house. So that's why it's going to make it a little bit smaller, but uh, I imagine I can put mm-hmm. The one tree. I, I can put one tree. I was thinking about putting the two trees, but if I have a, a big enough uh, um, canopy, I can just put the one tree. So, I, yeah, I want I, the perfect tree would be to have the shade, not to go into the sewer, not to uh, not to drop, not to be really messy, and be hopefully uh, it would drop leaves in the winter, and so the sun can get to the house and warm up the house in the winter. But yeah, that's a that's a perfect um, way of thinking. I'd be careful and try to locate where that water line is, and if you can keep your tree at least ten feet away from the water line, that would that would be helpful. Um, there's also root barriers you can put in if you want to be extra safe. Put them on the side of the tree where the water line is, and put put it about six feet away from the tree, um, and that'll help. Um, divert divert the roots away from that water line and that would apply to your other hardscape elements too like the driveway you want to always if you have an aggressive rooting tree uh, that could send roots underneath the driveway or other hardscape elements you want to be sure you give that about a 10 foot clearance so you're you're starting to limit once you put in that driveway you know uh, janet was saying during the break that it would be be nice if you could have put 
the tree on that southwest corner of the house, kind of where your driveway is going to be, because that gives you that late afternoon sun, you know, shade to that entire corner of the house. If you start moving that the tree more to the center of the yard on the south side, you'll have some nice morning and mid-afternoon sun, but or, or shade. But you but toward the afternoon, you're not going to have quite the same value. But uh, you've got to do what you can with the space you have, and again, taking into consideration those um, those limits as far as the the roots of the tree. It's a shame, you know. I saw a, a, a homeowner <clears throat> on Saturday, um, not Saturday, on, on just Thursday morning, who had a bunch of ficus trees planted on the outside of his wall, providing western shade, um, and the 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 uh, people put them just like three feet away from the wall, mm-hmm. and they had a quite about an eight foot, um, eight or ten foot uh, setback from the street. And they could have just gone right, mid, right in the middle of that space, you know, about five feet from the wall, even a closer to the sidewalk, because that curbing is a lot deeper than the footing on your wall. Uh, so, anyway, they um, they're going to have some problems because those trees are going to get larger in diameter, mm-hmm. and send roots underneath that wall. Wall and uh, they could have some problems. Yeah. And Bill, as a builder, I would tell you, I'm looking at where you want to put that driveway into the double gate. I would strongly recommend a paver driveway there as opposed to a concrete driveway. That's just my two cents. Janet? Um, yeah, that's, that's good advice, too. And I'd be really careful not to plant that tree too close to the house. Um, it's tempting because when you get the tree, it's small. But over time, it's going to grow. I would say no closer than 12 feet to, to the house for that tree if you go with an evergreen elm you could go with a smaller stature tree and if you want the desert look go with a mesquite or an ironwood they'll grow slower um but they'll they they have less of a, a tendency to invade the the water lines as well and the mesquites will get nice and big they'll get 20 25 feet across yeah the general rule of thumb is to allow about a foot for every inch of diameter of the tree at maturity so if the tree's going to get to be about a 12 15 inch diameter trunk you want to be 10 or 15 feet away from the oh i haven't heard that one i've we've oftentimes said you know however tall the tree's going to get that's how far away from the house you want it to be but i like that one better the the inch per foot so every diameter of the trunk a foot away from a structure i like that yep well, if you'd like to join the conversation, one 767 4348 That's one 888 for you So tall a tree, so small a man. A man may grow for all he's worth, but only trees are down to earth. So tall a tree, so small a man. You know... Bill asked the impossible question. You know, there there really is no perfect tree. You can have the right tree for the right location, but, you know, you're always going to have some mesh. You're always going to have some roots. You know, you, there's only so much control you can put on a tree, but, you know, you got to – that's just part of a tree. And we've got a texture that texted in it, 411923, and said they have a ash tree – they didn't plant it, you know, so it's obviously a, a home that they have purchased and moved into, but it's very mature. It's lost most of its leaves, and they want to know, can they trim it now? 
Yeah, no, this is a perfect time to trim all your deciduous shrubs and trees. Once they lose their leaves and the sap isn't flowing, it's a great time to uh, to to get in there and trim your your elms and your ash and your pistache and your pecans and your mulberries. All those trees that are losing their leaves right now, this is I, 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 the ideal time. We really target December or January. Interestingly, in Arizona, uh, we have a lot of what are considered uh, semi-deciduous trees, and the elm is really in that in that group. They'll their their leaves will persist a long time. In fact, our pistache tree is still hanging in there with a lot of leaves on it still. You have other trees and that will drop their leaves a lot earlier in the season. At the first hint of, of cold weather, they'll drop their leaves. But in Arizona, because our, our temperatures are so mild and the, the, we had that nice um, uh, nice rain in recent weeks, the trees are really healthy and they're just they hang on to their leaves. In fact, what they'll do sometimes <laughs> is hang hang on, you know, right mm-hmm. up until mm-hmm. the new buds are starting to form, yeah. and then they'll then they'll dump them like all in one week, mm-hmm. or like within a day or so. Then then the new buds come on, the new leaves emerge, and you hardly even have much of a of a deciduous season uh, of having those barren trees. But yeah, this is a great time, good good time to get in there and start trimming those uh, those trees. And they had a follow up question on the text as well: How much water do they need when they are dormant right now? And I've noticed you talking about you know sometimes they do a leaf drop. It seems like our ash trees when they get a heavy watering in the winter, they immediately drop after that. It's like they got all the water they needed. They're storing up now. It's mm-hmm. quick shut off. We're we're ready to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it it's. It depends a lot upon the, the location of the tree, the soil conditions, and the water. Um, sometimes trees will drop their leaves because their water's stressed. Because when leaves are on, part of the, the one of the byproducts of photosynthesis is water vapor is, that's being released from the leaves in addition to oxygen. So trees don't want to lose any any water any more than they need to. So they'll sometimes drop their leaves. Interestingly, in some yards where they have four or five of the same species of trees, they'll drop their leaves at different times. Well, that's just a function of the trees being under a little bit more stress, that it'll drop its leaves a little bit earlier, and then the next tree will drop them a week later and a week later. Those trees might be have a little bit better soil conditions, uh, might just be a healthier tree, might have had a better root ball when it was planted and, 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 and better planting conditions. So those factors are interesting. I have customers who have these uniform trees, and they say, why are they dropping leaves at a different time? And we've kind of analyzed that over the years and realized we might need to do a little additional fertilizing on that tree and maybe do some vertical mulching to improve the soil conditions to try to help them. Um, And what they'll do is they'll put on their leaves later. Those stressed trees will drop their leaves earlier and actually put on leaves later because they just don't have the 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 uh, uh, resources, the the um, the energy reserves to put on those leaves any sooner. So, uh, yeah, if, those, if you have those conditions, you might want to be uh, uh, doing a little bit more for those trees to try to uh, nurse them along and give them a little bit better chance. Well, I want to highlight. Janet, and you're raising your hand, so you want to, you have something. Well, but- I just want to remind people to pay attention when they're trimming these trees in their dormant state is maintain the natural shape of the tree and don't top the tree and don't remove more than 20% of the branches during the pruning period. But maintaining that shape of the tree is the most important. 
Twenty percent, John. I think you say thirty. You're, you're a little more generous on the. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's really species specific. The ANSI standards used to say twenty five percent, and but they stopped that because then people were using the twenty five percent as license to trim up to a quarter of the branches, yeah. and and that's not true. Citrus only needs some minor grooming, for instance. Right. They can you can get get by with maybe five or ten percent foliage removal in in a given season. Um, and other trees, you can go 30 or 40 percent on your really vigorous trees that you're, you know, some of you've got those tigers by the tail, those really vigorous trees that, that have achieved their landscape purpose. Then they've exceeded their landscape purpose. Then you've got this monster on your hands and it's all you can do to keep them under control. Those trees, you can probably, you know, get away with trimming 30, 40 percent in a given year. But, yeah, it really is species specific. Don't. Um, that's why the ANSI standards changed this last time and took the percentage out. They said it's species specific. Um, you know, follow. You know, know your species well enough to know what they can handle. So, but I like I like the twenty percent. That's better because well, that's on a, that's on the conservative side. I'd rather err on the side of taking a little too little, right? And being able to come back in a few months and maybe yeah. take a little bit more. Totally. If you're not sure if you should cut the branch or not, Leave don't because it. <laughs> it'll be there when you come back to trim it next time, and you can always <laughs> right. cut it then. Yeah. Now, Janet, you uh, specialize in urban landscape sustainability, and I wanted to focus on that a little bit later in the program. We're going to be talking about, you know, water savings and some of the things that are happening now with uh, CAP hitting the Tier 1 rations that hit the Colorado River. You know, and most of our water use, they say, uh, about 70% on our properties is outdoor use, and obviously your landscape design, mm -hmm. uh, water use comes into that. Absolutely. Um, we, the urban landscape sustainability idea is that um, the landscape is a system and you've got the soil and you've got the vegetation and whether it's grass or rock and you want to, and the grading is very important as you want your landscape to work as a system to, um, we'll just say, for example, deliver water during the rain that we do get to the landscape areas. So if you have the opportunity to shape your land and grade it in such a way that the water flows, maybe you have gutters, you can collect the water or divert the water from the gutter end to the landscape area. And that's a really good way to help support your landscape and be less dependent on the domestic supply. The other example I can give is um, using the smart controllers and setting them with the um, settings that recognize if we've had rain in the last seven or 10 days, the controller won't turn on. So we're just trying to balance the use of water in the landscape so that it's appropriate for the plant types you have. And this works as a system and it needs very little maintenance. And one of those big points is to plant things at the right spacing, right plant, right place. Let them grow into their space, and so you don't have to be forced to prune them. And there's just all kinds of little things to think about. And the landscape takes time. I mean, you can get it done; it looks great. But then you got to give it three to five years to really come into its own. Any great examples you send people to that are public areas uh, before you start a design process, like uh, you know the the Scottsdale Zeroscape Garden on Hayden, just south of Saguaro. Uh, I think is is a great example. The Swore High School. Swore. Yeah. South what did I say? You said Swore. Yeah, Swore High School. Mm -hmm. uh, just south of there. Sabercats. <laughs> it's my alma mater. I just wanted everybody to know this. <laughs> He's not giving it up. No, I'm not no. giving it up. No. 
And uh, ASU, they, did, they did win the state championship this year. Oh, nice. In, Congratulations. In football. That's and right. the player that caught the winning interception for the Georgia Bulldogs went to... Saworo. There you go. <laughs> go Sabercats. Good year for you guys. Yes. So, But uh, that water treatment plant just south of the high school is mm-hmm. a great uh, zero-scape garden example people can just walk through. Um, Bill Kastenizer, who works for the city of Scottsdale, manages that park and does a fantastic job. It's mm-hmm. a no, great it's place, really nice. great place to go to look at some native uh, flora and and just see how the different applications and how they use plants in a in a wise way there. And the ASU Polytech campus way out in Mesa, uh, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't even. I don't even remember where it was. I went there on a bus tour from the Arizona uh, Nursery Association and. Uh, they they did a great job on that campus. Is another great example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are yeah. there other uh, treasures out there that well, there's direct the, people you know, of to the Desert Botanical Garden. <laughs> um, I, I think some of the properties that are being developed in town, just driving around and recognizing when plants are in their natural form, um, that's the desirable form that we want. Uh, we're trying to steer people away from the shearing and the shaping and so that people aren't educated by that type of maintenance. So I think, and um, yeah, the places you guys have mentioned are great to go recognize what plants are supposed to look like. Take pictures, take notes, what you like, what yes. you don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's yep. a lot of things that, you know, yeah. when you go through uh, subdivision, you you get the impression you don't have a lot of options. Oh, there's tons of options. <laughs> That's yeah. not true. Right. I, it, no, it always yeah. amazes me just how much yeah. is yeah. available out there and mm-hmm. how many different uh, native or drought-tolerant varieties yeah. there are that you don't really get to see until you do a botanical garden or visit one of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, and it's a blend of, of the trees, the shrubs, the ground cover, the flowers. These They're at different levels mm-hmm. in the landscape, and it's just putting them together in a, in a, in a, in a, in a beautiful uh, uh, you know, way mm-hmm. that they can, they're all going all gonna to be in, enjoying their spot, their location, and, mm-hmm. and working together as a team, you know, to provide a nice, you know, they say, I've, I've heard this, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, Janet, that you start with the lowest elevation plants near the curb, and you build, you know, vertically toward the, toward the building, so, you know, you don't have a tree uh, blocking, the, you know, right on the curb, blocking your view of everything beyond it, so, you know, start with those nice ground covers near the street, then mm-hmm. then then some shrubs, and eventually some trees closer to the building, providing shade. Mm-hmm. Yep, plants should have a job; they have a responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one thing on the talking point you have is uh, olives. So, olive trees have a job of producing olives, but you guys also have a job of preventing that. <laughs> we do. This is a good time of year to uh, be spraying your olives if you haven't already. There's still time to do that. You can uh, we, we, we spray a growth regulator on the trees to prevent them from fruiting, or I shouldn't say prevent them from fruiting, reduce the amount of fruiting. Um, we try to get a, a coverage well enough so that you, 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 we can get about 80% of, of that uh, fruit uh, from, from uh, uh, dropping those, uh, those olives all over the landscape. But it's also a good time to maybe prune those trees too, because if you're thinking of pruning them anyway, you could do a little bit of pruning and then uh, we can get better spray coverage uh, when we come back a week or so later and and uh, and spray them for the uh, uh, for the uh, fruit prevention. Now you can't 
it, if I remember right, you can't plant olive trees anymore in Maricopa County. Is that true? Or you can't plant the old world olive trees that, that, that produce the fruit because they're heavy pollen producers. But they do have a Swan Hill variety of fruitless olive, which is real popular in the landscape. In fact, that's you know one on my short list of, of smaller trees uh, that are ideal for those locations where you can't handle a larger tree. Getting back to you, who is the caller? Was it Bill? It was. In yeah. Tucson? Um, it, it, there's a, a short list of some smaller trees, including the Swan Hill olive, citrus trees, the Texas olive, a leatherleaf acacia, a mastic, a yellow oleander. These are all trees that are kind of in the 10 to 12 foot height range at maturity, maybe 15 feet. And they're ideal for providing shade to windows at the little bit lower elevation. And they don't have aggressive roots, so they can be planted in smaller spaces. And a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning to you. I can tell looking outside the window at the Palo Verde trees. We got a little breeze out there this morning. Uh, well, it would be a great day for scythering. Scytherism. Scytherism, that's right. That's right. Or flying a kite. Scytherism is the sound of leaves blowing in the breeze. Is that cool or what? That is. It starts with a P.S. Look it up. Scytherism. But yeah, no, it's always to be a great day for a kite. I haven't flown a what? kite in years. <laughs> and I just I need to get out to the park and fly a kite. Go fly a kite, John. Today's your day. What? <laughs> and you want to talk plant selection. What plant tree variety would be best for getting underneath a hammock and uh get you and and enjoy your fascitherism well you know <laughs> i'm not gonna i wanted to talk a little bit but we were during the break we were talking about some other really cool smaller trees and maybe we could that, that list i i kind of maybe there, i went through it pretty quickly at the end of the that last segment um with those kind of medium size trees that are kind of our go-to ones we like to consider them the ideal replacement trees for those larger trees that kind of outgrew their landscape now you want to put something back in there but you don't want to have the same problem in five years this is that kind of short list of trees and maybe we can get them on your on your website i'd be happy to uh, go over that list and get them to jennifer and and get those posted maybe if uh, uh, callers, callers callers will give us a few hours this afternoon i can uh, get those over to Jennifer, but what, what was the one you mentioned? The the Duranta. sky, the sky. Yeah, what is it called? The Duranta erecta. It's a sky flower. That's the only name I know it by. Oh, so the sky flower. Yeah, and I love the desert orchid as well. You said you that's use a those really, a lot. Yeah, that's a nice little tree. A <laughs> little slower growing, but they're a beautiful f- flowering. Mm-hmm. Uh, tree as well as the sky flower has a beautiful purple flower. The desert orchid has mm-hmm. a, a variety of colors, but generally a pink or a, a purple a bloom, and they're just so nice. You know, you could put in a um, some other desert shrubs. Uh, I like the, the leatherleaf acacia. I saw a beautiful specimen the other day. Whenever I see them, they're just so beautiful, vase shaped, and um, and when they're uh, again, they're only about eight or ten feet tall, but mm-hmm. they're just so 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 nice because they're not going to outgrow that landscape and and be, become problematic. Some people just want them just at the height of the roof. That's all that they're really mm-hmm. caring for. Mm-hmm. So that mastic or the Texas olive, 
and these ones I just mentioned. We'll get that short list out to, to Jennifer later today. Wonderful. We've got Christine on the line. She has a orange tree that's 45 years old she wants to talk about. Welcome to the program, Christine. How can we help your orange tree? Uh, I've been working with Saver for the last two or three years with it. They um, sprayed it so that I wouldn't get so many oranges because it's so tall, you can't get to the top of the tree without a cherry picker. Wow. And anyway, I, I was, uh, they came out last year and trimmed it. I've been feeding it on your recommendation schedule. And and uh, anyway, I was taking oranges yesterday, and some of the inner branches, their bark is peeling, and the outer branches of those are dying. And I thought, what the heck? And so when you were on today, I thought it was the perfect opportunity to get a call to see if you had any, it's just age or what. Yeah, I I would have to probably take a look at the tree to kind of evaluate that. You know, maybe sometimes it will get um, uh, some sun getting through to some of those inner branches and causing a little bit of um, a dieback. But a lot of our citrus in Arizona are are subject to a, a fungal pathogen called Phytophthora. And we talked to one of the extension agents recently, uh, Roy Maxey, uh, one of our arborists with our, in our in our at Save a Tree spoke with an agent who said, in his experience, he doesn't think that there are any citrus in uh, in Arizona that don't have Phytophthora. It's so it's such a common soil pathogen uh, that it's it's often benign in the soil. It doesn't affect the trees uh, adversely until you create the conditions, the over over wet conditions that let that Phytophthora get active. And once it gets active in the root system, it starts killing the roots. And then immediately you have an above-ground uh, response of, die, of branches starting to die back. If you start getting that tip die back, um, it's an indication that there might be roots that are dying underground. And you get that corresponding uh, um, leaf drop. So be aware of that. You know, you're, uh, you might want to back off on your watering. Uh, just so you're not, we always say, don't ever put water on top of water on top of water. It can, you know, it's it's creating some difficulties for those roots to, to, to breathe because they need oxygen as well as water. John Eisenhower, Gary Peterson, thanks for joining us this morning along with our guest, Janet Weibel of uh, Weibel & Associates Landscape Architecture. If you've got a tree problem, saveatree.com. That's S-A-V-A-T-R-E-E.com. Guys, go get your go fly a kite, John. Have a great weekend. See ya. 